0: Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Evan Barrett. Evan is the black belt head instructor at Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Castle Rock, Colorado. Really appreciate Evan joining me today. If you want to support the Kelly Patrick Show... You enjoy the episode, uh, even if this is the first time you've ever tuned in, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. As many of you know, I am a health insurance broker. I'm licensed in 14 states across the country. I help people who are going on to Medicare or just want to shop their Medicare coverage. Coincidentally, for today's episode, my cousin Christopher Kimisat trains at fulcrum Jitsu academy once again in castle rock colorado and he does the same thing i do he's licensed in different states than i am so anyone in the united states if you need help with health insurance specifically medicare coverage that's medicare advantage medicare supplement prescription drug coverage send your referrals my way and if it's me that takes care of you great or if it's my cousin Christopher Kimisat Chem- also, he will take great care of you. So I appreciate everyone tuning into The Kelly Patrick Show. Here are the details about the sponsors. life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals, 502-386-0978. Welcome to The Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Evan Barrett. Evan is the head instructor at Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy out in Castle Rock, Colorado. Evan, how are you today?
1: I'm really good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you joining me. Uh, yeah, for, of course. For those of our my listeners who don't know, I, I've i been training jujitsu for coming up on about seven years, and I, I love it. It's so much fun. It has had such a positive impact on my life, uh, but also my three kids. And so, I mean, I am just a big-time fan of it. I found it here in Louisville, Kentucky, thanks to Professor Scott Smith. Um, but my cousin Chris, I grew up with my cousin Chris. He's just a couple years Uh, uh, older than me. Um, He lives in Colorado and within the past year, he has started training and then his son Connor also, they have have both begun training, of course, under um, Evan Barrett. So Evan, I really appreciate you coming on. I thought it'd be cool to kind of catch up with you, learn a little bit about your backstory and for you to tell the listeners of The Kelly Patrick Show about Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Evan, if it's all right, being this is the first time I've been able to chat with you, could you please introduce yourself to The Kelly Patrick Show audience? Who are you? Where are you from? Uh, What brought you into the world of martial arts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I've been doing jiu-jitsu now for coming on 15 years. Um, When I actually started jiu-jitsu, it was in 2008. And we were actually, um, my first academy was actually a Hickson affiliate. So I thought it was interesting that uh, the gym you're at is Pedro Sour affiliated. So that was kind of cool when I was uh, stalking you on Facebook. <laughs> uh, but I think as a martial artist, that all started probably around when I was in third grade. I remember seeing uh, the movie, The Three Ninjas, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, like, I want to get into this stuff. Um, my parents ha- wanted to, like, nothing to do with it. But <laughs> um, around third grade, I kind of talked them into letting me do karate at, uh, like, the local elementary school. And I learned pretty early on, like, okay, maybe, maybe not the karate stuff, uh, nothing against karate. Uh, just the way it was run. Ran out of that elementary school it was just a lot of like air punching and kicking, and uh, so I shortly phased out of that. And then it wasn't until middle school um, I decided I was going to try wrestling, and just fell in love with wrestling. I, I wrestled seventh and eighth grade, and then all through high school, um, and then took a few years off. I was feeling super lazy uh, after high school, and then. Uh, just at a whim I decided to go try jiu-jitsu, and i saw i saw the hickson affiliate down the street from my house and just kind of popped in there and uh, just never stopped since i started um, I realized really quickly how valuable valuable jujitsu is um, and just how much it changes lives and can be such a a positive um, Sport or martial art for anybody.
0: So okay, sorry to interrupt you there, but um, in 2008, that's when you made your way into the Hickson affiliate gym, right? Uh huh. Yeah. At that time, uh, what did you know about Hickson? Had you seen maybe the YouTube, you know, movie or documentary Choke? What did you know about yeah, Hickson so Gracie, and were you a fan of MMA at that time?
1: Kind of a funny thing. Yeah, I was a fan of MMA. That's what got me into jujitsu. Um, when I walked into that gym, I didn't really know much about Hickson or anything like that. Um, but actually it was a prerequisite before I could sign up, before I could try a class. Um, the instructor there made me sit and watch the VHS of choke. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. So I had to watch through that and then I, then I could get on the mat. So it was kind of a funny, interesting, um, intro to getting into jujitsu, but yeah. Um, that that was about the extent of what I knew about Hickson coming in. And then I was able to watch that documentary and it kind of filled in a lot of those gaps. So,
0: (laughs) okay. So you went into the Hickson Academy in 2008. I interrupted you there. Where, where did you do your jujitsu journey go from there?
1: So I was there for about a year. Um, and then that was in Aurora, Colorado. After that year, I moved down to castle rock and started training with um, Professor Curtis Hill, who is a, a black belt under Megaton Diaz. Um, and we trained here from about 2010 until 2017 under Curtis. Um, I got my blue belt, purple belt, and brown belt all from Curtis Hill. Um and then it was about that time that the gym got bought out. And then we started to affiliate with Drysdale, Robert Drysdale. Um, and then I was asked to kind of run the gym, um, manage the gym, run the classes and things like that uh, once Curtis left. And so I started making frequent trips to Vegas to try to get some training in with Robert Drysdale um, since that's who we we're affiliated under. um and then in 2018, yeah, 2018, um, I was out there for Masters Worlds camp, and then I competed at Masters Worlds, and then was awarded my black belt through Robert Drysdale um, after the Masters Worlds competition um, after a bad loss, but it was it was still a good day. Yeah,
0: It's interesting. So you you received the black belt after. You said a bad loss, but um, yeah would would you have preferred not to receive it then, or I mean what can you take from that does does that type of a an experience you know does it help you as an instructor? i guess you could you could look at this from many different angles, but mm-hmm. uh, of course being a wrestler i'm sure i mean every wrestler out there they're familiar with with losing, but you know winning of course is the goal, but you have right. to you have to kind of like a defensive back in football. You have to have almost, a, I don't want to say forget about the losses, but that's part of it. So what do you take from you receiving your black belt after a loss?
1: Um, so I guess when it happened, like, uh, obviously, like I would have rather received it after a win. But um, when he pulled me aside and awarded it to me, like my first reaction was like, no, I don't, I don't deserve this, but, uh, it's Robert Drysdale. He's one of the best to ever do the sport. And so, um, I I guess, uh, within about 10 seconds, he kind of talked me out of me feeling that way. Um, and just kind of made me realize like, dude, you've put in the work. Um, you spent all this time at camp, the, few weeks before that like i've seen what you can do uh it's not about winning or losing like if i say you're a black belt you're you're legitimately a black belt so um yeah did i want to get it off of a loss no but the fact that i felt uh drysdale was able to see me and recognize that i was there like i'll accept that right <laughs> uh it's not up to it's not up to the students to decide where their belt level is at, it's up to their instructors to to make that decision, so.
0: That's interesting. Um, that That's a, a very uh, fascinating topic, really. We could go, you know, in a lot of different directions with that, too, but you said it's not up to the student, of course, when they are ready for a promotion or a stripe or whatever it is, but, I mean, I've seen that there's there's people who are a blue belt and their professor says, hey, it's time for you to move up to a purple belt. And, you know, you could argue people never really feel like or many people don't feel like they're ready for that next belt. Uh, right. But I have seen where Professor Scott Smith, who I train under, someone saying, no, I'm I'm just going to hang out at a blue belt. And I mean, it'll turn into a point where he's like, <coughs> you know, he's I don't want to say like furious, but. I mean, almost like they don't have a choice. Like you're ready for purple right. belt. You you are, uh, congratulations, you are a purple belt. You have to comply.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of that too is a lot of newer people, uh, people who aren't black belts, they, I think a lot of times misconstrue being effective with being um, technically sound. So um, you could be a white belt Who's strong and smashing people and be super effective with your training and you're tapping everybody, but it doesn't mean you're technically sound. And on the opposite end of that, you could be somebody who's a blue belt and be super technical, but maybe everybody you're going against is way stronger than you, way bigger than you. And maybe you're hardly getting taps, but that doesn't mean you're not at the level that you should be at. And I think it's important to have instructors that can recognize the difference between being effective and being technical. And ideally we'd all like to be both. Right. (laughs) But it doesn't always work out like that.
0: Um, It's funny. You mentioned Robert Drystow and keep in mind, my interview style is very ADD. So I just bounce all over the place.
1: That's fine. Me too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it seems um, that seems to be a common thing in, in, Jiu Jitsu for me is, uh, you can be ADD and be all over the place and just be kind of active and it works out. But Robert Drysdale, you mentioned. There's a guy here in Kentucky named Josh Music. Mm-hmm. And back in, I think it was, two, I'm trying to Google it as we speak. But back in 2000 and I think eight or something like that, he was the the hot up and coming amateur MMA fighter here in Kentucky. Once again, name is Josh Music, and then he. So he was sitting at 7-1 and one in his amateur career, and he faced off against Robert Drysdale, and he lost via submission in the first round. He's been on the Kelly Patrick Show uh, many times. Once again, Josh Music. And so that's uh, kind of was the end of his MMA career. Robert Drysdale, of course, more, I guess you'd say, more of an accomplished uh, jiu-jitsu competitor, but also has had a very successful MMA career. Yeah. Um does does Drysdale make it out to your gym often?
1: Uh he does. There's actually um about 4 Zenith affiliates here in Colorado. So, um between the four of us, we always coordinate. Um he always changes. He comes out about twice a year, maybe three times a year. Um but he'll always come to a different affiliate here in Colorado. Um so we try to coordinate that. So it's like, okay, it's just it's his turn to be at Fulcrum or, okay, now he's going to be at Authentic or, okay, now he's going to go up to Academy of Grind. Um, and we try to switch it off, and I think it works out really well that way. It's, it's pretty cool. We have a cool Zenith community here in Colorado. Okay, very cool. Um, if you could
0: describe to me Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy, of course my cousin Chris and, and um, my cousin Connor trained there. They've had a great experience. But if you could describe Fulcrum – to the listeners of the Kelly Patrick show, many of them are familiar with jujitsu, of course, but what's the focus of fulcrum Jitsu Academy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Kind of a big question, a broad question. And I'll answer it in the most, the least ADD way I can possibly do that. Um, but I think first and foremost, um, we're very family oriented. Um, I I think I've, Sorry, Uh, I think that I've cultivated an environment that doesn't have a lot of uh, meatheads and egos and things like that. Um, I get a lot of comments from people saying that, like, it's a very different field than a lot of places they've gone. Um, And the fact that, like, everybody's trying to build each other up, everybody's friends here. And hardly ever do we have people that are here that are assholes or out to hurt anybody or um, just, like, are in it for themselves, right? And if if that does happen, like, I think they realize pretty early on, like, okay, maybe this isn't the gym for you. And there's plenty of gyms in Castle Rock. Um, so it's nice that we can be unique to what we want to be. Um, we don't have to cater to anything that we don't want, right? So... Um, first and foremost, uh, very family friendly gym, um, and just a good gym for people to train at who, who want to get better. Um, I guess second of all, if we're talking my approach to teaching, uh, it's called Fulcrum Jiu Jitsu Academy, uh, kind of for a reason, um, cause I very much believe in concepts in Jiu Jitsu and Under like getting people to understand how leverage affects your training. Um, So fulcrum just kind of makes sense as far as the title of the gym goes. But um, I I say the words frames and I say the words levers so much in class that um, my students are sick of hearing it. Um, But I think that's one of the most important things to understand early on is how to properly use frames and on the opposite end of that of how to not engage in frames and how to disconnect from frames and access your opponent's limbs as levers right so um that's a a huge focus and so any of the techniques that i'm teaching i try to um really drive that home
0: Okay. Um, now I know, I don't, I'm not quite sure what the etiquette is on this. So you, you know, feel free to answer what you want or not. But, um, I think my cousin, uh, Chris mentioned, is there like kickboxing classes also? So you guys have a kid's program, adult jujitsu, kids jujitsu, is there kickboxing? And if you don't care to mention, um, about how many students do you have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we have jujitsu. We do no gi jujitsu. Um, we have Muay Thai classes. We have kickboxing. That's um, like, kind of like a cardio kickboxing sort of thing. Um, we have youth Muay Thai. Uh, we just recently started doing, a, we call it pint size rollers class, and it's for kids um, 18 months to 3 years old. Um, oh, wow. Really? I haven't heard of that. That's probably the cutest class we have at our gym. So um, Wow.
0: I've not heard of that. I teach kids jujitsu, And the youngest uh, we normally accept is four. I've seen three on the mats, three years old. But wow, mm. you're taking it really young. What, what's that class <laughs> like?
1: Um, so that one, we actually have the kids work with their parents. So the parents bring the, the kids to class. Um, and everything that they're doing, the kids are doing with their parents on the mat. So. It's not like these 18-month-old three-year-olds are like rolling hard with each other or anything like that, but it's just a way to get them exposed to um, jujitsu movements early on. Um, and the kids seem to love it. So we did one four-week session where it was twice a week for four weeks. We just don't wanna burn the kids out early on and we're actually just getting ready to start um, the second session of that this week um just because there was such a high demand for it afterwards we kind of started it as kind of like a test like let's see how this goes and it was a big hit so um we're gonna keep it going and probably do that uh, every couple of months like a four-week program of that um but yeah so we have that we have muay thai kickboxing jiu-jitsu um No yoga yet, no Pilates or anything like that. But, yeah, we probably have about 200 students that come through our gym. Um, And that's divided amongst all the classes, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu.
0: Interesting. There's so many different ways to run a Jiu-Jitsu academy, and I'm sure you're even more familiar with that than I am. You see some places that focus on they'll do just Jiu-Jitsu. You know, that's mm-hmm. all, all they do. Just, you know, kids and adult jujitsu. jitsu well, that's it. Uh, some gyms will have jiu-jitsu and a boxing program or, you know, some gyms will have, you know, they've got a full locker room with showers and then there's some that mm-hmm. don't. And, I mean, there's so many different variables that go yeah, into, they go into uh, uh, presenting, you know, the product that you're, I guess, yeah, that you're selling and then, you know, uh, uh, how it goes from that. What are your thoughts on... Um, the balance between, well, I should ask also, do you have like MMA fighters? Are there active MMA fighters training at your gym, things like that? Um, um, and, and then also, what do you think of the balance of trying to make it all work together?
1: Yeah, I think it's really hard to try to be everything for everybody. Uh, so I think as somebody who's running a gym, you have to figure out early on, like, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to be... Um, a super competitive academy do you want to train mma fighters do you want to be more family friendly those aren't all mutually exclusive but i think it's probably good to figure out what your focus is and like i said at the beginning like our our focus really is to be like a family friendly environment and i guess if somebody came in and wanted to train mma um i would absolutely encourage that and we have a couple of people who um, are trying to get into MMA, um, but I, I don't think I could do that all myself. I think MMA has grown so much that you can't just go to Muay Thai and then just go to Jiu Jitsu and then try to combine that all together into a fight. I think uh, people would need Jiu Jitsu, Muay Thai, and then actually MMA training, right? Which we don't do a whole lot of MMA training actually out of our gym. So, you know, you, you probably need more than that if you're going to actually get into the cage.
0: Yeah, it, that seems to be a... Uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, we have many different variations of jiu-jitsu gyms. Like I said, some are just jiu-jitsu, some are, you know, uh, jiu with MMA, but they focus more on jujitsu, um, mm-hmm. And then some are more you know, MMA centric, it seems a lot of times the gyms that are more uh, focused on just MMA or for the most part, MMA, from my perspective, and I've never owned a gym, of course, but it seems like Mm. that's kind of more difficult to get like people, you know, paying their monthly fees and things like that. And, you know, it's a little bit less of a consistent um, uh, business model.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is. I wonder if it's like the whole like starving artist thing. It's like, sure, you're hungry to get in the cage and fight, but yeah, doesn't mean you can always consistently pay the bills and things like that. Yeah, so. even even
0: people who are having success and winning, you know, you can show me a an pro MMA fighter who's five and zero, mm-hmm. you know, and they're doing really well and they're on an uptick. That doesn't mean they're they're real well off financially. Yeah, not the most lucrative career path for everyone
1: yeah exactly i think you could probably agree with me like uh mma has evolved so much that i think most people if they're gonna actually be fighting or trying to make it as a fighter probably need specific mma training rather than just Taking a bunch of jiu jitsu and taking a bunch of muay thai,
0: yeah. Oh yeah, that certainly <laughs> seems to be the case. There's a a whole. I've done a very minimal amount of MMA sparring, very minimal, mm-hmm. um, but just you know, and you probably know better than I do with your wrestling background. But um, you know, uh, uh, takedown defense, for example, is one thing. But then takedown right. defense when you're able to use strikes, right? <clears throat> you know. I mean, that's just a very different thing. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, exactly. there's some some crossover.
1: Um, Use it, of the cage, like, oh, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot so of much.
0: stuff. The four-ounce gloves.
1: <laughs> hmm Yeah, um, absolutely. I did one MMA fight in 2014, um, and I kind of approached it, like I just said, like, uh, just doing a bunch of jujitsu and Muay Thai. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I learned from that was, like, Sparring is not the same as actually getting in the cage and fighting. Oh, I believe um, that. Yeah. I got <laughs> hit real hard at the beginning of the fight. Okay. I took the guy down, I passed his guard, I got on top of him. Um, almost submitted him at the end of the first round. And then in between rounds, I was convinced that I was losing the fight just because it hurt so bad how hard he hit me at the very beginning. So, it's it's kind of an interesting thing like uh yeah, and I, I learned after that fight, like, no, nah, getting punched in the face isn't really for me. <laughs> so so how did the rest of the fight go? Oh, I uh, went to the second round, went for a takedown because I didn't want to get hit again, and then got guillotined. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, it was, it was a tough loss. It was a good lesson, though. But, okay, maybe that's not for me. Were you
0: fighting in, of course, Colorado?
1: Yeah, yeah. It so- was for... Uh, Oh, never mind. I don't even remember the name of the organization. <laughs> it's been so long.
0: Um, interesting. Did you have? To, I'm curious because different states have different amateur rules. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have to wear shin guards or anything, or were you allowed? No, were you guys I'm, allowed to kick each other in the head.
1: Yeah, I think the only thing we weren't allowed to do um, that, like a regular pro fighter would be able to do, is throw elbows and stuff on the ground. So, it had to be strictly punches, but we could kick and. All that stuff. Just no elbows to the face.
0: In hindsight, have you been told you probably did win that first round?
1: Um, It was pretty (laughs) controversial at the time because I had the guy in a triangle choke and he tapped, but it was right at the bell. Oh, wow. And uh, So, yeah, like I thought I'd won. And they're like, no, man, you're going into the second round. And I was like... Yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. So it's probably like my psychology that uh, made me lose that second round for sure. Combination of me thinking I was losing and just, I don't know, getting hit in the face freaking sucks.
0: <laughs> do you remember what you got hit with?
1: Uh, it was just a jab. Like it was actually, no, it was his cross. But either way, it was uh, nothing crazy. It wasn't a crazy punch, but. Um, you know, some people can take punches like it's nothing. And um, for me, I was like, eh, okay, no, I'm good.
0: <laughs> so just a, a straight punch, and then you got him down on the ground. That's interesting, man. That's cool, though. In hindsight, I um, would imagine, even though your amateur career, you know, ended at 0-1, kind of a, a cool experience that you can look back on and gives you at least some perspective When it comes to using your jujitsu in the entirety of being a martial artist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess in hindsight, I had a coach who told me like before going into that fight, he's like, win or lose, don't make this your only fight. You should at least do do two before you decide what you're doing. He's like, this first one, it's going to feel like jumping out of an airplane. Like, you're not going to know where you are. Like, it's going to be all autopilot. He's like, do this fight, do one more and then decide, and I never actually did the second one that I should have, so I regret that in a sense, but at the same time, um, I don't know. I wasn't going to make a career out of it either way, so it's probably good I got out when I did because I don't want to – there's a lot of damage you can do to yourself, I feel like.
0: Sure, yeah, uh, striking, uh, taking a lot of blows to the head, even if they're minimal blows in sparring, um, that's not really – Good for you in the long run.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How old Scary are you? Stuff. How old are you? I am 36 years old.
0: Okay. And do you still compete at all in jiu-jitsu?
1: Uh, frequently, yeah. So um, I just got done competing at Masters Worlds a few weeks ago. Um, that was an insane tournament. I don't, have you ever gone out there for? I have not, no. T- nope. It's so cool because you have all these – all these people in a small space um, like around the West gate in Vegas um, and the convention centers right next door. And it's like just a few days of like being around a huge group of just people who are, who love jujitsu. It's, it's such a fun time. If you ever get a chance to do that tournament, it's uh it's a good one. Um, but yeah, I, I try to compete as much as I can. Um, I always told myself and my students that, if I'm healthy, I'm going to be competing in jujitsu. So, um, I'm going to take that as far as as far as I can, right? I think it's important.
0: You say you think it's important. What if someone starts training jujitsu and it turns out they have no aspirations to compete?
1: I think that's fine. I think that's absolutely fine. Um, I think competition helps get you a little bit better of a snapshot of where you're at. But it doesn't – it's not the end-all, be-all. And I promote students all the time who have no interest in competing. And we're not really a super competitive school to begin with. Um, But I I try to encourage everybody to compete. I've had people who a month into it, they're like, hey, I want to compete. Like, is that a bad idea since I've only been doing this for a month? And I'm like, no, like, go out there and give it a try. I was like, don't place – don't place all your hopes and dreams on this one tournament. Like, go out there, win, go out there and lose. It doesn't matter. But at least it can give you an idea of where you can be or an idea of where you're at. So I I encourage competing, but I also... Wouldn't hold anybody back for back competing.
0: You said that you're not a, and I don't want to butcher exactly, for, you know what you said, but you said something. Oh, like, that's fine. You, I already you, forgot. That's okay. <laughs> um, clearly, I did too. Um, <laughs> but you said something along the lines of, "We're not a real competitive school." That could be interpreted as being a negative thing. What, what are your? I thoughts could see on that? that being yeah. interpreted
1: that way. Yeah. Um, I, I could rephrase that. No,
0: I and, and I'm not saying that's a negative thing. I'm just curious yeah. as to what you meant by it. Cause clearly, you know, there's something there, but at the same time, you've got good numbers. The Academy's thriving. People are happy. I mean, the balancing act is there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess a lot of it is, I don't have a ton of students who are interested in competing. Um, and so as much as I would like to go to tournaments and bring huge numbers and um, take home trophies and things like that for our gym. Um, we're not there yet. And I will keep encouraging competition, but uh, trying to be realistic with where we're at. Um, and that, like, to me, that's fine if people don't want to compete. And I would never begrudge anybody, any of my students or anything for that. So I don't mean we're not competitive, as in we suck at jujitsu. I mean, we're not competitive, as in. I don't have a ton of people who are interested in competing, but uh, I do think we got some uh, some really good good folks, uh, good jujitsu jitsu players. Um, and I think if they did go out and compete, I think they would surprise themselves for sure.
0: Inevitably, a question like this will result in you leaving someone out. But do you have anyone in particular who's maybe um, trained ever since they were a kid? They've come up through the ranks, they're still training, and it's, you know, maybe it's a, a, a hobby they do a couple of days a week, so it's not their entire life, but kind of embodies what Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy is about. Once again, I apologize if I'm forcing you to mention one person's name <laughs> and then leaving other people off, but is there anyone in particular that embodies what Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy is about?
1: Oh, man, that's a tough question. <laughs> we have a I don't know we have a pretty diverse group of people we got younger kids but uh, we got a lot of older people as well um I would if you're asking about people who started as a kid we have um I have a blue belt his name's josiah um funniest kid in the gym uh I would have, he's uh 21 years old but like to me that's still a kid uh and I think i would I'd bring him up because. There's nobody in the gym that doesn't get a laugh out of him. Uh, He's just always cracking jokes um, and just making the environment fun. And he's, uh, he just recently, actually, I started, um, I started uh, paying him to teach a few kids classes here. Um, So that's been really good. And the kid is as a crazy, wicked baseball choke. Um, He submitted a, about fifteen people with it, and he's put to sleep. I think his body counts up to seven for people he's put to sleep in tournaments with his baseball choke.
0: Man, that that can sneak up on you. I've went to sleep from a, a guy named Clint that I train with. Uh-huh. Um, baseball bat chokes, any type of you know crafty collar choke like that can sneak up on you, and then just boom, you're asleep.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, I wouldn't say he embodies Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy, but. Um, he definitely embodies like the personality of our gym. Like just fun. We don't take ourselves super seriously. It's just a, a good, fun environment to be in. So
0: um, you mentioned something there. You said you started paying him to teach the kids' classes. I actually teach mm-hmm. kids' classes at Gracie Jiu Jitsu, Kentucky. And, you know, it it's not my full-time job. It's not my primary source of income, but Professor Scott Smith also pays the instructors, okay? Mm-hmm. So I know not all gyms do that. Sometimes they'll have like someone teaching and is, a, you know, uh, in exchange for teaching, they don't have to pay to train at the academy and maybe their kids train or, you know, things like that. But at Gracie of Kentucky, uh, Scott Smith is adamant that he does pay. Once again, it's not like, you know, it's not going to be a full, you know, salary you can live off of, but it is right. paying your instructors. What are your thoughts on that, um, is that important? Uh, was that your idea? And uh, uh, what do you think of the concept of paying your instructors? Even if it's, you know, I assume not a whole lot of money, but is it important to pay your instructors?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I would start by talking about the people who I don't pay to help teach and things like that. Um, I don't pay everybody. Uh, to me, it's a consistency thing. So I have a lot of people that help me out, um, but, you know, they can be there Mondays and Wednesdays sometimes, or they can be here like, Hey, I'll be there Thursday to help you teach um, stuff like that, where I don't have a consistent schedule for them. Um, and for them, like I want to help them out with their tuition and stuff or helping me out in that regard. But if I'm going to pay somebody, I need to have somebody that I know is going to be here specific days and times. So that's kind of my, requisite for it. Um, once I can get that, like, yeah, I'm happy to start paying you for teaching classes. Um, Josiah was a kind of special case. <laughs> he lives about a half hour from our gym. Um, so he drives 30 minutes here every day. And he, he's here in the afternoons and then he comes back in the evenings. Um, and it was getting to the point where his mom was like, dude, you're, you're too obsessed with this jujitsu thing. Like you need to get a job and, and, uh, get your shit figured out. And so he was like stressing about that. I was like, man, let's get you paid. Let's get you paid to start teaching. Um, I want you around. I don't, I don't want you to like, give up on your dreams, <laughs> because of other factors. So, um, we started, We started paying him to do some classes. It's working out really well. Um, It definitely got his mom to stop. uh, uh, I'm not going to say bitching at him. Uh, It got (laughs) got his mom off his back a little bit. Sure, at least Um, pays for the gas. Yeah, exactly. And I think she was was really happy with that because I think when we're in it, when we're doing the jujitsu, we all see the value in it. I think as an outsider – Uh, I get this with my family life too. It's like people don't always see the value in it. And so I think being able to get some sort of compensation for training, I think helped her see that, okay, there is value in this. And uh, it's not just him going or going to the gym to roll around with people and then, okay, now what, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you brought up an
0: interesting point there. You said – your family life. I, it makes me think my dad, you know, of Mm -hmm. course has never trained jujitsu, never done any combat sports. I'll show up to like a family, you know, a family get together and not every time, but every once in a while I'll have maybe a scratch on my face or, you know, something like that. And he's just shaking his head like, man, (laughs) like what in the hell kind of hobby do you have? Like, how could that be fun? What has your experience been? Does your fam- Do you have family members who also train? What have they thought of it? Are you married? Do you have kids? Uh, what's yeah, your situation so with your, your family and how they have uh, received your grappling and combat sports hobby?
1: Absolutely. So I have uh, one son. He's 17 years old. Um, he trained jujitsu from five years old till probably about 14, 15 is when he kind of lost interest in it <laughs> found more interesting girls i guess but he always says he's going to come back and i think he probably will eventually um but i think where i screwed up with that was um like kind of pushing him too hard early on to come to jujitsu and stuff like that whereas because he started so early like it wasn't something that was like unique to him like it wasn't Like this, like to me, when I started jujitsu, I'm like, wow, like, where's this been? Like, this is awesome. I've, I've never seen all this before. This is great. But to him, he started it at five years old. And by the time he was a teenager, he's like, yeah, I'm done with this. I've seen all this before. There's nothing neat about this. So I think that's kind of where I screwed up with him. Um, Yeah. And I'm married. My wife, uh, she's Pretty supportive with jujitsu, but there's definitely times where it's like, I spend most of my time here at the gym. Like weekends, I'll be um, coaching at competitions, um, going to open mats on Sundays, uh, so I'm not at home a lot, and I recognize that. And so I think uh, that can't be a little strenuous on a on a marriage and stuff like that, but. Um, despite all that, she's been pretty supportive about uh, the things that I'm doing. So no complaints there.
0: Interesting. Um, Once again, I keep mentioning uh, the owner and head instructor at my Academy, Scott Smith. He has a son, Dalton who Uh, trained, I think from age like four through seven or eight years old. And then he got so burned out on it. Scott was pushing him to compete at that young age Mm-hmm. that he quit, and he took off like, I think it was 12 or 13 years off the mats. Oh, wow. And then right around when I started training, he had recently just gotten back onto the mats at age 20, and now I think he's like, I don't know, 28 or 29, something like that. But he's he's all in on it now. He's like a, yeah. he's a brown belt, and he loves it. He's one of the guys I train with the most. Um, but Professor Scott Smith constantly mentions him as an example when he's talking to the The parents of the kids at the academy. He's like, if they don't want to compete, that's okay. What's important is they stay on the mats. You know, if you push them too much into competing, and I've seen it happen where you know a kid feels good, they're doing good in the gym, they feel good, then they go get the shit kicked out of them in front of a crowd of people, and maybe they're a little discouraged, um, or they just don't want to go to class all the time. And you're trying to be a good parent. I've done it. My son. you know, he's looking into getting back into it now, but I mean, I per—I <laughs> actually have done it with my son also. He's 13 years old and mm-hmm. hasn't trained in almost a year. So I think that's a a common kind of recurring uh, theme among uh, uh, parents who practice jujitsu themselves. Yeah, is that they, regardless of how aware they are, <laughs> no matter how much Scott warned me, I fell right into that same trap.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Like I remember times when my my son was training and he'd be like screwing off in class where i'd like call him off the mat i'd be off to this i'd call him off the mat and take him in the other room and like yell at him and be like you need to be listening in class like i'd let him have it and now that i'm a kids instructor if i saw parents doing that i'd be like dude like just let me handle it like uh like they're in this class like I can get a grasp on that, right? And so, like, looking back on that, it's like, eh. I was one of the parents that I wouldn't want to have to deal with um, in my kids' class. So, But it, at least funny. you trained. Yeah.
0: Right? It's got to be more annoying, and I don't know who's going to listen to this, so maybe, you know, <laughs> it's got to be more annoying if you see – parents who are like super into coaching their kids and being critical and they're in good shape and they're like 40 years old and you're thinking, why don't you train, man? If you, if you know so much.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um I don't have a ton of that. I, what's really cool about jujitsu is like, there's been so many times kids start training and the parents are on the sidelines watching. And sometimes it's a few months, sometimes it's a year, but there's a lot of times that the parents are like, "Oh shit! Like I could do this too. Like this isn't that far off from something that I can do," and then they end up signing up as well. So,
0: yep, that's what I happened to that. me. My my son and my daughter both trained mm-hmm. for two years prior to me stepping on the mats. So, yeah, that's very common. Very common at our academy in particular. I don't know yeah. if, if that's a common thing. Sounds it sounds like Gracie. Yeah, same Jiu- with ours. Yeah, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu- Kentucky. And Fulcrum to me sound like they're pretty similar. They have, you know, some people who compete, but that's not like the main identity at all of the academy. But yeah, they've got a good kids program, and oftentimes a dad will see his kid training and be like, Well, I could do this. And they, they turn it turns into a big hobby for them, which, you know, enhances their life big time too, which is so
1: cool. Yeah. I don't know if you've talked to uh, Chris, uh, our 6 a.m. class has turned, they, it's one of the wildest things. Um, it's it's grown a lot, and we have a bunch of guys. They started calling it dad's class because it's all the dads that show up for class. Um, it's like when the kids are still sleeping or... Mm -hmm. Right before they go to school So it's like their time to come train So it's a
0: bunch of dads whose kids train at night They're in there super early in the morning Without the kids Yeah, Wow that's cool as shit I know that's very corny To someone who's not familiar with it It sounds corny but like that's the coolest shit in the world In my eyes
1: And I've never seen anything like this At our gym before But um, that group of guys Have like started a, a group chat With each other Um they'll like get together and have barbecues and things like that together. They'll, they'll go out for drinks. Like uh, it's like their own separate uh, academy within the academy, not to be like exclusionary, like anybody's welcome in that, that class. But it's just, I've never seen a group of friends develop um, as quickly as with, with that 6am group. It's really interesting. Very cool. well,
0: Evan, I really appreciate you joining me for the episode today. Um, before we wrap things up, I don't know if there's anything you you know, you know want to mention. Of course, it's Fulcrum Jiu-Jitsu Academy. I had the address up here, uh, but of course, they can Google you. Is it 703
1: Wilcox Street? Yes, sir. Yep. Castle Rock, Colorado. Um, if any of your listeners are ever in the area, we have a very open-door policy about um, – anybody who wants to come down and train. Um, we have visitors all the time that, that pop in for classes and things like that. So honestly, um, it's a really open, friendly environment. We'd love to have anybody come down and train that wants to come check it out if they're ever in the area.
0: Awesome. I One of these days I'll have to make a, a trip out to see my cousin and, and uh, get on the mats there at Fulcrum. That'd be very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forgot to ask you what uh, belt level are you at at this point? I'm a purple belt. Okay, nice, very cool. So we'll try to train up Chris to uh, beat the shit out. Hopefully, be able to handle you when you come out here to visit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. That's a um, that's a a very funny, you know, thing. Is. to see people get onto the mats. I have I have experienced this where I, when I first started training, I just went through a divorce and I got to where I was training like literally six days a week, sometimes seven. And some of those days would be two times a day. Like right. I, I was like, you know, all in it. And I did that for a few years. And then I started doing like a boxing class a um, couple, couple nights a week. And then slowly I got to where I was doing like three, or four nights of boxing and then le- so really less jujitsu. jitsu but i've seen people who've started after me is my point yeah. who then kind of i roll with them uh, it's i'm like oh it's been a year or two since i've rolled with you we roll and then i'm like holy shit this guy made me tap and i'm like what the hell this guy's catching me i got people catching me they're they're on my heels
1: yeah i refer to those people as like the testers of your will like there's always going to be somebody that comes along in your jujitsu journey where you've been training for a while and they just have a different starting aptitude for it. And they start to like catch you or start to creep up on you. And that's the type of person that it's either going to make you quit or it's just going to encourage you to keep on going. And it's good to have those those sort of people to train with because it's it's really how you test yourself to see. Are you going to keep doing this or are you just going to go away? So I, I appreciate um, people that can push you like that.
0: I love it. It's, it's such a cool hobby. Evan, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much for your time. I hope to speak with you again sometime soon, Evan. Thank you.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome.
0: I want to thank everyone for tuning into The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.